0: Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9-11 a.m. at the main campus, and 11 a.m. at the mux Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God blesses you through doing so. All right, how many ready to get started digging into the Word of God today? Hope you came hungry, ready. You know, we, we've shared some... Uh, stories that have been phenomenal from the Word of God. We've been looking at ourselves in God's Word. We're finding our place in God's story. And we have just looked at three kings, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, maybe some of the most well-known kings in Israel's history. But we're going to come to a time when now the kings become a little bit more obscured, and they kind of run together, and it's hard to keep them all separated, and the kingdom divides, and things start to go wacky, in the nation of Israel, and we'll be looking at that today. Uh, for you that are watching by way of video, especially in our second service this morning, we welcome you as well. I'm going to be at Remount Road during the second service and excited to preach over there and reconnect with the body of Christ right there. So, you that will be here at Faith Assembly for the late service, we welcome you today. And all those who'd be watching by television or video or however you watch it, anyway, it's a, out there a bunch of ways. Take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Israel has had this dream that they wanted to have a king. They wanted to look like the other nations. They wanted to be like all the other nations around them. And, and, and what happens is they find their king. And the king did a good job of, of taking 12 separate individual tribes. And he begins to unite the nation. So that now Israel becomes a national Powerhouse on the national scene and he and he joins the nation. And they have this dream that we want to be strong, we want to be powerful, we want to be like all the other nations around them. But by the time Rehoboam assumes the throne, the dream becomes a nightmare. And things go radically wrong. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to see how that God uses a man to bring the nation and get them back on track. The first king was a man by the name of King Saul. He was a man who was very fatally flawed. He winds up dying on the battlefield, falling on his own sword. It's a tragic story. It's a man who starts out with all kinds of potential, but his life spirals out of control. And then we looked at King David. And King David, I really believe, was God's choice. Uh, Israel got ahead when they chose King Saul God's choice was David it wasn't God's time for a king and yet David would become the next king of Israel very powerful a great military commander great military leader but he had some of his own giants in his own life that he had to face and sometimes the biggest giants we face are right down in here and David made a a, a terrible blunder that would affect his family the next generation his own children bring bloodshed in the nation of Israel would lead to a rebellion, and it was a tragic story as well in the end. And then Solomon comes along. And Solomon, during his reign, the kingdom grows, the kingdom prospers. Uh, He is the wealthiest king maybe to ever live on the face of the earth, a powerful king, a very wealthy king. Uh, Israel becomes a power in that region. Uh, Solomon is incredibly blessed by God. But Solomon does something. He hijacks God's story, and he tries to make it his own story. And he tries to make it all about himself. Now, if you were here last week, and I, I had a chance already to hear the, hear the CD, Craig did a masterful job. Didn't he do an awesome job last week talking about Solomon and, and how that he tries to hijack the story from himself and those difference between those aha moments and those uh-oh moments. And uh, he started out with the great aha moments, and we moved into those uh-oh moments that we all experience in our life. Incredible message last Sunday, if you didn't get it pick it up on your way out. And, and he gets into this whole thing. Solomon thinks that, that he can further strengthen the kingdom by having all these political marriages with all the kingdoms around him, plus all the other girls he wants on the side. And, uh, and, and But when he brought those marriages in, he also brings all their false religions in. He brings all their idolatry in. And you begin to see this decline already in the nation of Israel towards the end of Solomon's reign. And God had warned him. And this is what the word of God says. When you go into the land warning the nation of Israel and God prospers and blesses you, do not forget the Lord your God. And this is where Solomon makes this tragic mistake. He forgets the Lord his God. He thinks it's all about him. Do not say by the work of my hand, I have accomplished all of this. For it is the hand of your God who gives you the ability to do all of this. And yet how quick we forget. I think sometimes when things are going well, God's blessing and our lives kind of cruising along and, and, and the job's going well and we're taking care of our family and things are happening good at the home. I think sometimes the temptation is, you know what, look at all that I've done. Look at my stock portfolio. Look at my bank account. Look at my family. Look at what God's blessed me with. I, I'm really, I got to golf on Sunday and I'm not, see, this is not for you. You're all here. But I got to go out on the river, got to go off. I deserve a break. And pretty soon we begin to shut and leave God out over time. And the word of God warns us, do not forget God. Everything we have comes from his good hand. Amen. How many has God been good to? Let me see your hand in the house today. Solomon is the wealthiest person in the world, and yet he thinks it's all about him. Now let's read our text. Turn to 1 Kings eleven nine 9 to 13. I'm going to use this the bridge to move us to where... We're going and where the kingdom is headed. Let's stand together as we read God's word this morning. 1 Kings eleven nine to 13. And the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant, and my decrees which I commanded to you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Now here, God is prophesying the division of the kingdom. Israel is going to be a divided kingdom, but it's all a part of God's greater plan. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, a man by the name of Rehoboam, I will and yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him but will give it to one of one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. Your word is powerful. I pray God that it, you'll do something in our hearts and our lives this morning. I pray, God, that no matter what our background may be, what our family life may be like, what we have gone through, what we've experienced, that today we will learn that you can put it back together again. You can bring healing. You can bring hope. You can bring restoration. So do your work, Holy Spirit, in this service this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask it, amen. You may be seated. Solomon's... uh, reign and rule is going to be followed by 500 years of the reign of the kings and there's going to be a a, a quite a multitude of kings during that time and who for the most part like solomon hijack god's story and try to make it their own and so many of these kings most of the kings said we got a better plan we got a better way of doing things we really don't need god at all now solomon has a son his name is rehoboam and rehoboam Is cocky. He's a young guy. He's proud. He's buffed up. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, and he is really something special. And they came to him, and the people of the kingdom says, "You know what, Rehoboam, if you won't be so hard on us, if you won't tax us so heavily, that would be nice." If you, won't, uh, if you won't make us work so hard and put us into forced labor and do all that building project that Solomon had going on and, and make us your slaves, if you won't do all of that, we'll follow you, we'll serve you. So Rehoboam goes to get some advice. And the, the older guys say, the, the, the gray heads in Israel say, you know what? They're on to something. Be nice to these guys. They'll follow you. Treat them well. They'll be a part of your kingdom forever. But the young bucks, all those crowd he's running with and hanging around with says, you know what? Tell them this. You thought your daddy was hard. You ain't seen nothing yet. And that's exactly what he told the nation of Israel. And it launches a rebellion in the kingdom. He said, My father's forced labor policies are going to be in effect. It's going to be worse. The taxation's going up, and this is what you can look forward to. And a rebellion ensues, and a man by the name of Jeroboam. And Jeroboam had been a man who met a prophet on the way who said, One day you will lead the divided kingdom and you will lead 10 of the tribes. And sure enough, rebellion, uh, Jeroboam leads this rebellion, and the 10 tribes split off from the two tribes in the south. Thus you have Israel in the north, and you have uh, uh, Judah in the south. Uh, Show me that map there. I think we have it for you. Maybe you can kind of get an idea of how this is. Map. It's a map of, there it is, all right. Uh. There you see the dividing line. At one time on the other side of the Salt Sea and and the Sea of Galilee, uh, Gennesaret, we know the Sea of Galilee up in the north. Uh, That whole side on the left is Israel. It's the whole kingdom of Israel. You have Moab and Ammon and Philistia, some of uh, the other kingdoms around it. But there's a division that takes place. Judah becomes the kingdom in the north. Its capital is going to be Jerusalem by that little number one. Israel is going to be the 10 tribes that are in the northern part. extends all the way up to Dan, all the way up to number 4 in the northern part of that. That is going to be the northern kingdom. That's where the 12 tribes are going to rally around Jeroboam. Jeroboam in the north, Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon, is going to rule in the nation of Judah. Thank you, gentlemen. And so the kingdom divides. And, and yet this is a part of God's plan. Because what is going to happen is out of Jerusalem... God is still going to have the lion of the tribe of Judah, not Israel, because he's always going to push his plan forward, his plan of redemption. And and so it was necessary to get those idolatrous nations separated from the true kingdom of Israel. Uh, Turn, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 11. Look at verses 31 to 33. He describes what is happening here. And keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at it this morning as we study God's word together. And he said to Jeroboam, take the 10 pieces for yourself. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. For the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem. He said, this is a part of my plan. This is a part of my uh, bringing forth the Messiah out of David's line which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shamash, the god of the Moabites, and Moloch, the god of the Ammonites, And have not walked in my ways, nor done what is right, nor kept the statutes, the laws, as David, Solomon's father, did. And so when we look at the divided kingdom, it was a part of God's plan because idolatry had come so strongly into the nation of Israel. He says, For my son David's sake, I'm going to preserve Judah. And out of him will come the Messiah. Now, when you study the word of God, I'm giving you some background and we're going to dig into the application here. When you study the word of God, 1st and 2nd Kings are parallel books to 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So when you're reading through the word of God, you'll read Kings, Kings, Chronicles, and then you start in Chronicles, and you seem like you read it all over again. You read the same stories over again in a different way, but uh, same storylines, parallel books. And as you read those books, I don't know about you, but you've got two kingdoms, and he's bouncing back and forth. He'll talk about the king in and Judah. And he'll talk about the king of Israel. And he'll talk about prophets that come and minister during these times, and, and it can get confusing. I don't know about you, but this is, to me, the most hardest portion of the word of God to keep straight but it's all there and it's incredible as you track the history of Israel Judah had 20 kings over the next 500 years of the 20 kings only six of them did that which was right in the eyes of God most of the kings were losers, 14 were losers, 14 allowed idolatry to come in, they were wicked, they were losers, and, and it was happening in Israel, as the king goes, so goes the nation. And so whatever track the kings uh, uh, followed, the nation followed after that. And so idolatry becomes rampant in Judah and in Israel as well. Of the kings of Israel, only one king could be said he did that was a decent king. His name was Jehu and his life ended up in kind of a mess. So he starts out good, ends up in a mess. So Israel had a whole lot of bad kings up in the northern part of the kingdom and, uh, but rather so rather than strengthening Israel and uniting them as one the monarchy becomes a catalyst for their decline and their downfall and idolatry coming in to the nation of Israel now here's the incredible thing god is still going to work out his plan how many know that God's plan will come to fruition and he works through and even around these various kings in nations history because he is going to keep his redemptive story moving forward and one day in fact next week I'm kind of jumping out of sequence but next week we're going to be looking at the birth of the king of kings and the lord of lords Jesus Christ. God is going to push his agenda, his redemptive plan for man. It is going to move forward, even in spite of all these crummy kings and crummy leaders in Israel and Judah's history. He will accomplish his story. Now, go back to that map again. Let me show you what Jeroboam does. The kingdom rebels. Jeroboam goes up, uh, starts that northern kingdom. Jeroboam has a thought. He says, you know what, if, if the people who were used to going to Jerusalem keep going back there to offer sacrifices in Jerusalem, I'll lose the allegiance of the people. So he does something. He sets up his own idol worship, his golden calf. He'll build a golden calf in two locations. He'll build one in the north, all the way up in Dan. He builds a golden shrine and a golden calf. So the people up in the northern part of Israel can go there to worship. But they're not worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping the same God they worship in Egypt. They're worshiping the same God they worship when they were at the foot of Sinai when they built a golden calf. They erect another golden calf up in Dan. Baal worship, idolatrous and they do the same thing in Bethel. He wants to set up an a idol, a, a idolic shrine right there, uh, a golden calf, so they won't cross over and go down in Jerusalem lest he u- loses their allegiance. So he has two main centers of idol worship in the nation of Israel in the northern part. Now, turn to 1 Kings chapter 13. This is where the story gets really exciting. Turn the page, and we're going to pick it up right there. 1 Kings 13, and this is, this is an incredible story. There is a prophecy that is going to be given right down to the very minutest detail that is not going to be fulfilled for the next 500 years. But read about it. It is phenomenal. 1 Kings 13 and verse number 1. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah, probably from Jerusalem, to Bethel. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar making an offering. Now he's there, he's making an offering, he's rallying the people himself. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord, O altar, O oh altar, this is what the Lord says, a son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. Now Josiah is not going to come till many kings later down the road. But he prophesies this to the point of even giving the guy's name. And look at what he's going to do. And on you, he will sacrifice the priest of the high places who now make offerings here. And human bones will be burned upon you. He said there's going to be bones that are going to be burnt up right at this very site. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This sign, the Lord has declared, the altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. And right then, that altar separates, the ashes fall on the ground, and it, it's just an incredible sight, this, this man of God. He's an unnamed man of God. We never know this guy's name. He is just simply obedient. He's a prophet. He is simply known as the man of God. And he, and he gives this warning, and, and, he, and he says, basically, there will still be a remnant of godly people in Judah. Now, God is going to raise up a king by the name of Josiah, 340 years later. Isn't it incredible how God's word is? It is absolutely phenomenal. And he will bring... Josiah is the one who is going to bring revival back to the nation of Israel. He is probably one of the greatest kings in all of Israel's history, uh, King Josiah. And he's going to be the one that's going to be instrumental in all the middle of this idol worship. He's going to bring back the worship of Jehovah God. He's going to bring back the sanctuary and rebuild and repair the house of God. Restoration. I want to tell you, Just as Josiah brings revival to Israel, we need revival in America today. We need a move of God across this nation because our families are in a mess. Our land is in a mess. Our schools are in a mess. Our nation is in a mess. And we need a revival, a move of God in America today. We need God to move in our homes and our families today. They are being torn apart. How are we going to see God do this? How will we as a nation, how will we as a people begin to experience revival and move of God? I think we'll begin to discover that as we look at the pattern that God used when he brought revival through Josiah. Are you ready to discover that? Take your notes out. First of all, point number one, we need to believe that the Lord can reverse the curse. Everybody say reverse the curse. God can absolutely reverse the curse. Turn to 2 Chronicles. Look at chapter 34, verses 1 and 2. 2 Chronicles 34, verses 1 and 2. Now we're going to get back into, we'll get to Josiah. I wanted to set that up because that prophecy is so incredible. 34, verse 1. And Josiah was eight years old, 2 Chronicles, when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years now he's eight years old he is a boy king he becomes king at the age of eight he did what was right in the eyes of god and walked in the ways of his father david not turning to the right or to the left now that's kind of a summation of josiah's rulership verse three in the eighth year of his reign Now, he becomes a king when he's eight years old. In the eighth year of his reign, he is now 16 years of age. He is a teenager. He is ruling over the nation of Israel uh, or Judah. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In his 12th year, he began to purge Judah. And Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and the cast images. So by age 16, he is seeking God. By age 20, he is launching his revival. He is purging the nation of all the idolatry. He is cleaning up Israel once and for all. Now, let me give you a little background. Josiah's grandfather was a man by the name of Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh was an evil king. In fact, uh, if you look at verse number 9 of chapter 33, this kind of describes Manasseh's rule. Uh, But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than all the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. By Manasseh's reign, he says Israel is worse than the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Philistines and everybody else. He was the most evil king in Israel's history, a man by the name of Manasseh. And he reigned 55 years in Israel. They are eventually taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And in the end, Manasseh humbles himself and turns to God. But he is a wicked, wicked man. He is a wicked, wicked king. Josiah's father is a man by the name of Ammon. Ammon is Manasseh's son. Ammon was also a very wicked king. And in verse 22, it says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. And so now you have a very wicked king in Manasseh, 55 years. You have Ammon who's going to reign two years. He is so bad that his own people assassinate him while he's on the throne. So he's killed. He has a two-year reign. And during their reign, they bring an idolatry, sorcery, divination, witchcraft, bloodshed. It is all happening through the reign of these two kings. And now you have a son by the name of Josiah. And at eight years of age, because of the assassination of his father, he becomes the king at age eight. Josiah is what we would say was from a dysfunctional family, an idolatrous family, a wicked family, a family that is filled with bloodshed. But by the age of 16, it says, and he began to seek the God of his father, David. He broke the generational curse. He broke that family curse that went from generation to generation to generation. Uh, But Josiah refuses to blame his family. He says, I'm going to seek the God of David. I want to go back and discover God and find out what this nation of Israel and Judah was founded upon. Listen, you have a choice to make today. You can focus on how bad your family was, how mean your daddy was. How your mom and dad separated, how you had a dysfunctional family, how there was uh, drug abuse or alcohol abuse or how your family was tore up or how your family were not saved or how they did not know the Lord or how your dad had two or three marriages and your wife, your mother may have had uh, several different marriages. You can focus on that or you can choose to focus on how big and how good God is. Now, this is great news today. We can either blame our parents and hang our heads down and say, this is all that's ever going to happen in my life because this is the way I grew up. Or we can choose to say, God, you are a redemptive God and you can take our messes and you can take our junk and you can take my past and you can turn it around and change my life. It's a choice we have to make. God will bless you. God is able to take You, out of your mess, you are in. And Josiah starts a brand new level of faith that not only impacts him, but will eventually impact the entire nation of Judah. It is an incredible story. And he he brings Judah up to an incredible new level of faith and revival, and it begins to sweep through the nation. Incredible story. Josiah would not be one we would have picked. When you look at his past, when you see what happened, the very worst king in all of Judah was his grandfather. You wouldn't have expected Josiah to be the one. We've got some incredible stories all around this house. If we begin to sit down and you could tell me your story, we have a lot of first generation believers. Now, many of you are second-generation believers, some of you are third-generation. Some of your grandfather was a praying grandfather, and your folks loved the Lord and served God, and you were brought up to follow the Lord, and and that's a great Christian godly heritage. But we've got many, many first-generation disciples right here in the house today. Your parents may not have known Christ, you may not have been raised in church, but you came and you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has radically changed you and your family. Look at a couple of these stories.
1: It's remarkable.
2: Oh, my life as a child, it was dysfunctional, I'd have to say.
1: I grew up in a non-Christian home. My grandparents were Christians, but my my mother and father were not believers.
2: My father was a country western fiddle player. I remember when I was three years old, going to honky-tonks and bars and seeing my father up on the bandstand playing and people out there dancing and drinking and smoking and guess having a good time.
1: I I don't have a lot of memories about my childhood but I do remember I was about six years old. Uh, My parents were non-believers and um, my my father was an alcoholic. Um, He left my mother with six children.
2: Many nights I'd fall asleep on uh, people's coats in the, in the coat room, you know, one o'clock in the morning or midnight or whatever.
1: We ended up going to live in an old country store um, about 12 miles outside of town that were owned by my grandparents.
2: My father being gone on the road all the time, I didn't have much of a father. You know, he wasn't there for me very often, which I'm glad upon his deathbed he did apologize to me.
1: My father, I believe it was as a re- result of the war he served in the war and in a way to deal with those you know those memories and recollections he turned to alcohol
2: but my parents didn't drink that much i mean they drank it was a party and you know but it wasn't a constant uh, with them i was more of the of the alcoholic i guess
1: my grandmother and grandfather were were believers they were baptists and, um, and I, I remember specifically walking into um, their house at times and before Grandpa got into bed I, I remember seeing him kneel by his bedside and I remember hearing him pray for us
2: In comparison you know, to what it was just even 10 years ago for me is is so different my life is so much better
1: My older sister was 10 and she really was the first believer in our family.
2: Uh, Even when I came back from Vietnam, it was, you know, drugs and alcohol and in and out of marriages and and just a a total mess.
1: Because of Christ, everything changed in my life.
2: I came close so many times of taking my life, and it wasn't until finally my sister called me, or I called my sister, and told her how bad it was getting in my life. And then she invited me to come here to, to Charleston. I remember the, this is the first church I came to in uh, 2001. I stepped in here and it was like I stepped into a home. And then I joined the church and uh, Jesus came into my life and He changed me and He took away all the desires for drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and all the stuff my life was like.
1: You know, society tells us That when we are, um, if my father's an alcoholic, then most likely you will be an alcoholic. But because I accepted Jesus into my life, that broke that cycle in my life.
2: My name is Bernie White, and that's my story.
1: My name is Cindy Strickland, and that's my story.
0: Isn't that awesome? Isn't that exciting? That's so cool. Great stories. And with our stories like that all over this sanctuary today, we're a story of God's grace. We're a story of his goodness. And, And no matter what may have happened in our past, God's able to reverse the curse. He did that when he died on the cross. The Bible said he became a curse for us. We'll put our life into his hands. He'll save us and deliver us, set us free and give us joy. Josiah reverses the curse. The the next thing Josiah is going to do, one of the very first things he does, turn to 2 Kings 22 and verse 5. He's going to make worship central. He's going to restore the temple. He's going to open it back up. He's going to cleanse it. He's going to get it ready. And so look at, it says, have them, in verse 5, have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord. For 55 years, the temple had not been used. It had fallen apart. It had been in disarray. It had not been used. It had been defiled. It had been neglected. But Josiah's first order of business is to rebuild the temple. And as you read the story on further, he personally gave. He gave of his own finances. He gave of his own resources because worshiping God and making the temple central was the most important thing in Josiah's life. And so he rebuilds the temple. He puts his money where his mouth is. He doesn't just talk about church and the sanctuary and let someone else take care of it. But he restores worship to the nation of Israel. Now listen to me. There's a, there's a powerful lesson there. We don't hesitate to pay the price to live in our nice homes. We don't blink an eye to for our kids' education or special trips we want to go on or vacations or, or our sports activities or, or all that goes on around us or all the stuff we want to buy. Uh, I'm not going to ask how many were out on Black Friday. I don't even want to know. But 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 America goes nuts for stuff, and yet. Oh, I don't know if I can give to the church. Kind of tight this month. I bought the big screen TV. Josiah says worship in the house of God should be first and above everything else in our life. God should be very first in our lives. We are his children. We owe everything to God. And so we put him first in everything we do. He put the things of God beyond his own physical house. Because he is about setting about to develop a spiritual foundation. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's kind of the take Josiah had. We are going to serve the Lord. And so I want to challenge you to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Uh, And be faithful in bringing your family into the house of God. Where we will come and worship him as a body together and celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful in your giving. So that together as a body, we can advance the kingdom of God here in the low country and all around the world. Uh, Because the only thing you're taking to heaven is not all your stuff. It's going to be souls. Josiah. Josiah could have worshipped God all by himself. He could have said, you know, at 16 I found out about God and I'm just going to hang here and I'm going to worship God in my own way, all alone, all by myself. But he personally pays the price to make it easy for other people to come to know God. And when we are called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not all about myself. It's about everybody else who still needs to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see no hint of selfishness in Josiah. You see, no, well, it's just me and my religion and myself and I'll serve God. And in the end, my goal is to get to heaven. No, it's about the whole nation who needs to hear God is alive and he is on his throne. And God is big and God is good. And I'm going to use God to let me spread that word. And he rebuilds the center of worship for the nation of Israel. I'm so thankful for faith assembly of God. First of all, you guys are incredible. And we just are, we're looking over the finances for the last year. And it's like so exciting to see what God, even in a time of recession, has enabled this church to do. And it's because of your faithfulness and your giving and your being a part. Because you catch the vision, you get the broader picture of, you know what, it's not just about me. It's about seeing other people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so why launch out and why start other campuses? It's so other people can hear and know in those regions about the Lord lord jesus christ why go on missions trip why go to why give to missions it's so people around the world can hear the name of the lord jesus christ and you do that and you give and you're a part of that and it's exciting to see what god is doing to see the miracles to see the lies being changed to see the testimony of bernie coming to church and giving his heart to jesus christ and seeing that repeated again and again and again week after week and you guys make it possible I want to thank you for that make worship central only god knows what you're giving what your participation what you're praying what you're sharing accomplishes kingdom wise and i don't think we fully will know until we get to heaven but it ain't gonna be fun when we get there and we hear god say well done now good and faithful servants you got it right you got your priorities right you understood it you followed through what a day that's going to be. Number three, embrace God's word. Embrace God's word. First, if you're going to make uh, see our families restored and rebuilt, it's got to be built on a foundation. And the first thing has got to be central on the worship of God. The second thing is if we're going to build strong families and we're going to see God bring revival, we've got to base it on and get back to the word of God. This is where it's at. Josiah's grandfather and his father were so evil, they never got the book of the law out. The book of the law was gone. They never used it. They never read from it. It was pretty much out of sight. It was lost to the point that there had to come a point in time during Josiah's reign where they rediscover and they find the book of the law. It had been hit, it was in a dusty storeroom somewhere in the temple. Israel's greatest treasure, the whole thing that Israel had been founded upon and based upon was based upon the word of God. And Judah is now reaping the consequences because they had abandoned the word of God. But now look at 2 Kings 22, look at verse number 8. And here's where the story gets exciting. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Isn't that exciting? I found it. Eureka. He gave it to Shephim, who read it. Then Shepham, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors of the temple. And so they've given all this money to rebuild the temple. And while they're restoring the temple, they found something. They found the scrolls. And when Shepham, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shepham read from it in the presence of the king. What an incredible story. Can you imagine somebody of Faith Assembly of God running down to the front of the church and said, I found it, I found the Bible in church. That sounds kind of uh, unrealistic in our minds because we are so blessed with the word of God and, and yet how many of us have Bibles and probably every one of you have Bibles and not just one, three, four, and five sitting home on your shelves. Listen, it doesn't do any good on your bookshelf. You can set your Bibles all around the house to look good when company comes in. The question is, are you reading the book of God? Are you reading the word of God? Are you ingesting it? Are you taking it in? Is it transforming and changing your life? When King Josiah heard the words of the law, the Bible said his heart was broken and he begins to realize how far that Judah has gotten away from the word of God and he repents and he begins to cry out for the nation of Israel and he believes God's word because there's life in the word of God. The word of God is not just for religious instruction, but God's word, the Bible says, is living and powerful, sharper than any Two-edged sword. It gets down to the core of who we are. Get into the word of God and it will transform your life. Listen, man's words may motivate you. Only God's words can transform you. Only God's word can change you. Because why? Because it is living. It's alive. It's living and active and powerful. And it has the ability to transform and change our lives. Look, if you were at Deuteronomy chapter 32, listen to what the word says. Verse 45, and when Moses finished reciting all the words to Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of the law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Isn't that a great statement? They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Feast on God's word. It's your life. It's your life. In the New Testament, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is our very life. It is our sustenance. It is our strength. His word brings life uh, to our dead soul and the spirit of God comes and he energizes and we become alive again. The word of God brings healing. The word of God brings strength. The word of God gives us guidance. The word of God brings deliverance. Make the word of God a centerpiece in your homes. We want to see revival. You know, I think part of the problem in America is we have gotten so far from the way the nation was founded. And God blessed America and has been blessing America bountifully. But it all started with, for religious freedom. And people coming for a place that they could learn and grow in the word of God. And have freedom of religion. And our nation was founded on that. But now you can't even put the Ten Commandments upon which all our law is based in a school. And we wonder why our schools are in such trouble. Can't put it in a courthouse. Can't put it in a public place anymore. And then we wonder why America is in such a mess it is today. And, and we, we may not be able to change every law in our land, but I want to tell you, I can make an impact in my family. And so we can get the word of God out and read it with your children and teach them the stories of the word of God and teach them God's redemptive plan and go through it and read it and let it change your life. Let it become life to you. Number one, make worship central make 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 his house, his church central, number two, build a foundation on the word of God, and number three, walk in the forgiveness of the Lord by allowing him to purge your life uh, that 's an incredible thought right there. Josiah doesn 't live in condemnation; he is going to move and live in a place of freedom now here 's the point I want you to get. Some people say, ah, "It's rules, it's regulations, it's legalism, it's it's all that kind of stuff." God's word was never meant to bring bondage or legalism. God's word is the key for you finding life and freedom. You want bondage? Get into drugs. You want bondage, get hooked on alcohol. You want bondage, go from one lady to the next, to the next, to the next. Uh, And they may tout their freedoms about all they can do, but I will tell you, it is bringing them into bondage. Uh, You want freedom, uh, base your life on the Word of God. Follow the principles in this book, and it will radically change your life. It will give you the most full, exciting, meaningful life you can ever have. So Josiah is going to begin to purge the land. He's going to begin to tear out all the idols, uh, every remnant of the past, uh, every remnant of the old life. Uh, He destroys the idols, the pagan sites. Uh, he, He destroys all those things that were really keeping Israel, Judah, in bondage. Turn to 2 Kings 23. Look at verse 15. Even the altar at Bethel. Now, now he's going to somehow get across the border. He goes up to Bethel. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, remember that story I told you a long time ago about that altar in Bethel? In King Jeroboam? Who had caused Israel to sin. Even that altar, the high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it into powder. And he burned the Asherah poles also. Then Josiah looked around. And when he saw the tombs, now listen to this, that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God 340 years ago who foretold these things. Isn't that incredible? God's word always comes to fruition. It always comes to pass. A man of God An unnamed man of God goes to Bethel and says, one day bones are going to be right here on the altar. Now listen to me. Josiah had no knowledge of that prophecy. First Kings had not yet been written. Josiah has no knowledge of that prophecy, and yet under the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, he goes in, he finds the tomb of the prophets that led led Judah and Israel into, into idolatry. He said, You know what I want you to do? I want you to dig up those bones and we're going to burn them on the altar. 340 years ago, an unnamed man of God said, Bones will be burned on this altar. Now, some people might say Josiah is a maniacal madman who just wants to burn bones and that's crazy and that's nutty, but he is led by the Spirit of God and every word of the prophecy is fulfilled down to the very letter and last detail. Isn't God incredible? And he burns the bones because they are the ones who ushered in idolatry into the nation of Israel and later into Judah. Josiah is not a crazy man. He is just a man who is passionate for his God. He is on fire for God. He's tearing down altars. They're reading the Bible. They're rebuilding the church. He's bringing revival back to Israel, to Judah. And I want to tell you, we need revival in America today. Back to those basics. When you put worship of the Lord first, when you say, God, you're more important than anything else in my life. I put my worship before you above everything else. When we return to the Lord, when we cleanse our life, because, not because it's something, it's something that when God saves me, I want to get rid of all that junk. I don't want that bondage anymore. I want to do what God's word says. So I want God to cleanse my life. And so I want to, even though when I give my heart to Christ and he forgives me and I'm cleansed by his blood, I do want to get those things out of my house and out of my home and out of my life that would hinder my walk with God. So I purge my life. I walk out of that forgiveness of Christ's life in me. I walk out of that grace. And the, the fifth thing that Josiah does, as he celebrates the grace of God. And here, here, this is really exciting. Turn to 2 Kings 23. Look at verse 21. The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate. Everybody say, celebrate. 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 How many like to celebrate? Celebrate good times. Come on. Right? Celebrate the Passover. Celebrate your grace. Celebrate your freedom. Celebrate the blood that was shed. Celebrate. To the Lord your God, as is written in the book of the covenant, not since the days of the judges who led Israel, nor throughout the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. This is a party to end all parties. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, 18 years, he'd be 26 years of age now, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Celebrate God's grace. Celebrate your freedom. Celebrate the blood. Well, every time we take communion, we are celebrating. We're celebrating what Jesus has done for us. He says, celebrate your forgiveness. We have reason to celebrate God gives a peace in our heart that passes all understanding. Uh, In him is fullness of joy. At our right hand is pleasures evermore. We get to love God and we get to love the people of God. What a reason to celebrate today. We get to know that all of my sins are forgiven and all the guilt's gone and I'm on my way to heaven. Uh, We get to celebrate Uh, what an incredible grace-filled journey there is in following the Lord Jesus Christ. It all starts with the right spiritual foundation. And it's not going to be built on what we do or what we can do, but the foundation is all about our freedom and our grace and our liberty that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we celebrate. And then you know what? We get to show the world how good and how big God is. And we get to demonstrate that in our life. And the world's going to say, you're different. You're not like everybody else. Your family's different. Your home's different. Your life's different. There's something about you. You're different. And we get to begin to proclaim the goodness and the bigness of God. Eighteen years, in the eighteenth year of his reign, at age 26, God uses Josiah to bring revival to Judah. And the celebration ensues. He has restored the temple. He uh, repents, and they cry out before God, and they turn back to the Lord. They restore the reading of the law that had been put up for 57 years. The law is now read again. It's been rediscovered. It's reinstituted. They're going to follow the law, and now he's going to follow it by reinstituting the Passover. And through Josiah, God is going to keep moving his incredible plan of redemption Forward. and next sunday morning we're going to come and see how that all these kings are going to lead up to the one who is called the king of kings and the lord of lords and we're going to get the birth of that king next sunday morning and listen god's wanting to use people today just like he used josiah i want to see josiah's arise from all over the sanctuary josiah's that have a heart for god that are that are love with the law and read the word of God, that want to see God's word go forward, that want to see revival come into our land, that want to pray for our nation and seek the Lord. Listen, God is big and God is good. And he wants everybody to know him. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you some questions today. What does your foundation look like? What's it look like at your house? Are you reading God's word? I I, I I talk often about the importance of the Word of God. Are you reading God's Word every day? Or do you get up, men? Do you read the Word of God in the morning? Do you, do you get up and read it every day? Read the Bible through every year. I I, I uh, If you're like me, I st- I, when I first started reading God's Word, I'd start in Genesis and get lost in Leviticus, and then I'd, and then I'd they'd get lazy and quit. And so I, I probably read Genesis 100 times because I'd start over again. For me, I got a one-year Bible. I just needed it to keep me on track. And so now I've read the Bible through about 30 times. I'm on my 30th time going through the word of God this year. 30 times. I started doing that a long, long time ago at age 28. And I'm still every year, read the Bible through every single year. And uh, one year I did take a break and I just read the New Testament because I said I want to slow down. I want to just study the New Testament this year. So I I, I didn't do the Old Testament that year. I just did the New Testament, Get in the word of God. We would get our family together at night when the kids were small and we would tell the Bible stories and read the stories from God's Word. And then we'd, we'd kneel around the couch and we'd pray. And, and, and the, each family member would pray of what they felt they wanted God to do in their life or what they needed at school or what was happening. And we'd pray for them and put them to bed and pray for our kids do that. I mean, it just, those are simple things. I'm not saying this to brag about myself. I'm just saying anybody can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Anybody can do that. It's about establishing the right foundation. And church was always critical in my family when I was a child growing up. Now, I didn't come from a dysfunctional home, so I, I couldn't share my test about reversing the curse. I came from a godly family, and I thank God for that. And they, I, I grew up in church, but we were there every single Sunday, every Wednesday night, every Sunday night. We had a revival in Cincinnati. It went six weeks long, every single night. Our family never missed a night. I had homework. You're going to flunk. No, no, you're going to church. God's more important than that math test. And I did. I flunked. <laughs> it was so critical in our family, in our home. It was in church. I was saved. It was in church. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was in church. I was baptized in water. It was at church at a youth revival that God called me to be a pastor. I was 16 years of age. I was just at the time Josiah just started seeking the Lord. That's when God spoke to my heart and says, I want you to be a pastor. I, I had no earthly idea how that would shape out or how that would unfold or that I'd even be here today. But church was central to everything we did, and my family gave, and they gave to church, and they gave to every missionary that came through, and they gave to every evangelist. They gave to every building program. They built buildings in those churches. They gave to every building program above and beyond their tithes and offerings because they were focused on God's house. That was central in our life. That meant more than anything else in our family, in our life. And you know what? They ne- we never lacked for anything. God took care of them. God blessed them. God bless dad god bless mom and 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 god will do it god was always faithful it was never a chore to give just a part of who we are we were believers so we were givers it just kind of went together because god's house meant more than anything else build your house build your home build your family on that godly foundation and if you came from a terrible background and you, and you didn't have that model before you and you didn't see that growing up and you didn't experience that for yourself as a child, listen, today you can reverse that curse. You can say, you know what? I didn't have all those things that Pastor Burbacher may have had, those advantages. But listen, Christ saved me. God changed my life. God set me free. And in my family, I'm reversing the curse. And you know what? There may have been generations of divorce. My wife and I are gonna stick together the rest of our lives. There may have been generations of abuse uh, of alcohol drugs whatever it may be we're not going to allow it in my home my family because we are reversing the curse Uh, and just like josiah did it god can do it for any single person and god's going to change america one family at a time standing for the lord letting their light shine serving god start it starts in the household As the family goes, so goes the nation. And families are falling apart, and our nation's falling apart. And it's all symptomatic. But we can reverse the curse because we know about the grace of God. Bow your head and close your eyes. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.